0: Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name is Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 115, where we will be covering Brandon Sanderson's Oathbringer from chapters 108 through Interlude fourteen.
1: Our next book club will cover Oathbringer chapters one hundred and fourteen through one hundred and nineteen. So be ready.
0: Boom! This is the podcast that has risen.
1: <laughs> We're all here. How how are you doing? How are you? I feel like I haven't talked to you in a week. I know, even right? though we live together, right?
0: Yeah, it's funny how it's that been works. A strange
1: week around the Duke's household.
0: Uh, we've had quarantine within the quarantine. <laughs>
1: We put some quarantine on your quarantine.
0: So you can see what it was like to live alone.
1: <laughs> so what did you think of this section? It's, it's been a little while. We meant to record last weekend. I was sick, so I locked myself in my bedroom for a bit. Do you even remember Tur- what happened?
0: Turns out you don't have the coronavirus. I
1: do not have the Rona, no. So
0: that's good. Uh, the, you know, first things first, no coronavirus, great week. Uh, second things, uh, I thought it was an enjoyable section. I, I mean, the end of this part is, you know, it's a good ending. It's not like, oh my God, the world has turned upside down, but it's a, but it's a good ending. Uh, the, some interesting stuff happens in the interludes. Uh, we have some interesting stuff with Shalon and Adolin. So it was a, it was a, a good section, solid.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, let's get into it. Chapter 108 is called Honor's Path. Aboard the Honorspren ship, Syl is locked up and Kaladin and Shallan formulate a plan to escape. Vale and Shallan are becoming more and more intertwined and Vale's feelings for Kaladin are causing complications. Their plan involves getting to Thalen City, but Azur has other plans. She makes a deal with the Honorspren, her freedom, for knowledge regarding her special sword. She's not particularly inclined to care about what the others want. Shallan and Adolin open up to each other and Kaladin gets closer to swearing the fourth ideal as the fused who are chasing their ship get closer.
0: There's a lot going on in this chapter. There is
1: a lot going on in this chapter. I
0: took a lot of notes in this chapter.
1: Indeed. Okay, so let's kind of start from the beginning. First off, I'm just annoyed with Vale, the whole Vale being into Kaladin thing, Um, and and I'm trying to like put my finger on why, Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: I think it's because she's like, So into his brooding passion. And it's so like, it's so like a 15 or a 16 year old who's just really into the toxic guy because he just seems so passionate. You know?
0: She is like 17.
1: Absolutely. Which is why I'm not saying it's unrealistic. I'm just saying I find it annoying.
0: (laughs) I get it. I get it. I thought this was an interesting chapter from a Shallan uh, point from a Shallan point of view. Right. Uh, because she is sort of going so seamlessly between the two characters right. uh and sort of fading in and out. Uh, I feel like this is a uh, I, th- I feel like this is healthy in comparison to you know what she had been before where she's either in one person or out of one person. Mm-hmm. You know, this seems like she's she's having I don't know what the right word is, but coming to some sort of grips with those both being characteristics of her personality. They're not wholly separate people. Right. They're just aspects of her personality that she needs to learn how to f- fuse into one life mm-hmm. to be a whole person rather than these one-note characters she has sort of segmented in her brain.
1: It's true. And, and then it kind of makes the whole love triangle thing it kind of gives a little bit of depth to it you know because that's something that's a very basic teenager issue or or occurrence i would say yeah you know you kind of have the partner who's you know emotionally stable and kind to you but maybe they feel a little boring or there's a part of you that wants that kind of danger and that the conquest of winning over someone who's kind of a dick you know and this is like like males and females go through this. Oh yeah, for you sure. You know, absolutely. For sure. But having the the kind of split personality aspect of it makes it it's a good way to explore that.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: But definitely makes me eye roll a little bit. And I think it's it's um you know, the fact that Vale is the one who is kind of street smart, but she's the one who's falling for the whole well, he's emotionally unstable, so he must be exciting yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, I think is very telling um, as far as what what Shallan's version of street smart really is.
0: Right, yeah. <laughs> well, and like we learned in, I think, an episode or two ago, I think it was two episodes ago, you know, Shalon's version of Vail's, quote, street smarts, still have to ultimately stem from from Shalon and Shalon doesn't right. have any street smarts it's it's all a facade.
1: Well and and you can't neglect the fact that Shalon grew up in an emotionally abusive household mm-hmm. and that does play a part in your relationships and what you expect from relationships as well. So I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it.
0: Correct and Shalon's mom we don't know the precise details but she very well may have been seeing other people on the side there, whether that was all just politically motivated or, and, and it was actually nothing romantic going on or whether, you know, we don't really know, but there were definitely other men.
1: Well, and, and then she tried to kill her. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And then there was that.
1: And then there was that. But yeah, we definitely see Vale sliding in seamlessly kind of this whole change being triggered by whoever she is around mm-hmm. and triggered by her environment is I, I it's interesting that you said it shows kind of a uh, progress on her part Um because I think but it also shows like this is potentially very dangerous like she is out of control of which aspect of her personality is going to come out
0: that's true I think you could look at it you could look at it both ways for sure I don't I, that's that's certainly true So there's a part in here in this chapter where she is examining the different beads and looking at their souls and practicing, being able to quickly identify what they are and talk to them. And in that comment or in that section, she says, she makes this comment out loud, what would someone see when looking at her soul? Would it give a single unified impression? So it it shows this as an area that she's demonstrating some concern. She's She's afraid that she is losing control, so that definitely seems to be her take on it. I look at it as a healthy thing. You are all these people, they're all you. You've gotta sort of learn to have them all live in one building together, right? You know, they they gotta move in.
1: And that really is just the quintessential teenage struggle, the struggle for identity, and it's explored so well here. I love the concept, too, of items having souls, and it really highlights the importance of self-perception. You know, if you have something that perceives itself to be a table, it's a table. And the idea that soul casting is convincing that item that it might be something else. Mm -hmm. It's just such a neat way to explore the whole concept of identity and self-perception.
0: So let's talk a little bit about Adolin, because Adolin has a big reveal in this chapter.
1: Yeah, and it starts when Adolin wanders over as Shallan is struggling with being Veil vale or Shallan. She's kind of triggered into the, her Veil persona by Kaladin's brooding eyes. Hmm. And Adolin wanders so over brooding. and she's annoyed with him. She's like, this white bread guy. <laughs> and she tells him, Adolin kind of knows what's going on with her. And and she, she says, Shallan will be fine. I'll get her back soon. So she's very kind of openly almost telling him... Uh, exactly what's going on with her.
0: Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that Adolin noted that he's been seeing this before because, frankly, it would be sort of ludicrous if he hadn't been.
1: Right, uh-huh. and he's also even picked up on the fact that one of her personalities is not that into him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And there's a, they have a very touching conversation where Shalon asks him, which one do you like the most? And he's he says, I, I like the one that's you because they're all you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, and she says something very interesting. She says, she tells him that Shalana's broken, so she's been trying to hide her, but she feels like she's lying to everyone all the time because she's not even sure who she is inside. And if that's not a universal, I mean, teenage struggle, but a human struggle, I don't know what is. Except we often have this idea that we're the only ones who feel that way,
0: right? Yeah, correct, yeah. Uh, Everybody feels that way, but they're too focused on their own feeling that way to recognize mm-hmm. that everybody around them also feels that way.
1: So in response to that, Adolin tells her his biggest secret.
0: I killed Sadius.
1: <laughs> so how did you react to that when you read it? The way that that finally Shallan,
0: came out? I killed Sadius. And Shalon's like, fucking rookie. I killed <laughs> both my parents. <laughs> right. Suck it up. <laughs> it surprised me. It, it uh-huh. came sort of it did Not that it came out of the blue. It's appropriate for a lot of what's going on. She's mm-hmm. talking about lying to everybody. He feels like he's losing her. So he sort of, you know, she mentions the idea of holding secrets and lying. He says, here's my biggest secret. Perhaps if I share my biggest secret, I can woo her back. I don't know if that's a part of his thinking, if he's just constantly burdened with it. You know, we knew that this was going to come around at some point. But it was, it was definitely... It surprised me and it was also like about time. Mm-hmm. Because Adolin just doesn't pull off the tor- tortured I know a secret thing. He, <laughs> just, he just doesn't pull that off well. That's not his personality. Well, he's I'm, a Labrador. He's a very beautiful golden retriever. <laughs> but he is a golden retriever.
1: But I like that he kind of just tells her a, a, what happened and B, that he's not even sure if he's sorry about it. And she's just yeah. like, good, you shouldn't be. That guy was a dick.
0: <laughs> All dick should be murdered.
1: <laughs> She's, and he's like, okay.
0: <laughs> no, I also liked his, I did like his explanation. And I can't say that I disagree with his explanation. His idea was that Sadius was more politically manipulative and intelligent than we were. He played the game better than we did. He'd already—it was only through basically what what is nothing short of a spiritual, metaphysical miracle that we survived his first major coup at the end of the Way of Kings. I I felt certain that if I didn't take advantage of this opportunity now, he would end up killing us. So it's a really kind of bizarre self-defense, but nonetheless, I can't argue that it's not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was 100 accurate. That's, he is
1: not wrong. That
0: is what was going to happen.
1: Well, and and Sadius told him, you know, it's not even yeah, like yeah. Sadius mm-hmm. denied in any way that he was going to stop trying to take Dalinar down. Yeah, yeah. He told him to his face. Yeah, I'm never going to stop, and eventually, I'm going to win. Nanana boo boo, <laughs> and then Adolin's just like knife in the eye.
0: That'll that'll end it. <laughs> right.
1: So the conversation between Adeline and Shallan, though, it ends with her feeling safe with someone for the first time and feeling, like, settled within herself. So I just thought that was very nice.
0: All right, so then let's now talk about Kaladin. So...
1: Mr. Grumpy
0: Pants. Mr. Grumpy Pants, yes. He really begins this chapter, you know, and I'm like, this guy, this guy's just a dick. What a, What a dick, like... Let's just attack them. Let's just kill everybody. But then Kaladin tries, like a toddler, using his words. <laughs> right. So he uses his words and some uh, flashy hand gestures. Mm-hmm. uh And some weird mystery spren, a bottle of Pantene, <laughs> and dropping the name of Dalinar Colon, and he gets his way without having to mutiny the ship. For once. For once.
1: (laughs) I thought it was cool how windspren are so common on the other side, and they talk about windspren all the time. And up till now, we've heard you know, just random mentions of windspren here and windspren there. When they appear in the cognitive realm, everyone is shocked and awed because apparently they mostly live in the physical realm. And I was like, that is like a lot of buildup for that. I mean... I know, yeah. (laughs) It's like... That's just so well thought out, you know, that like, you know, 2,000 pages of, I was I just find it impressive.
0: Well, I think also the thing that's interesting is, as we've talked about, Shadesmar is like living in a Super Mario video game, mm-hmm. right? There's just mushrooms walking around and weird things flying through the sky. Crazy stuff that's just, you know highly, highly alien to our perspective. But when they see a windspread, because it is rare, it's, you know, it's a big deal to them. Whereas, you know, on the other side, it would be, you know, the opposite. If somebody saw the entirety of, you know, an anger sprint, they would be stunned and shocked by it. So it just sort of, you know, goes to show that your perspective on what is or isn't right natural awesome amazing is entirely based on what's ru- routine and mundane to you
1: mhm yeah it's a neat little tidbit though that we learn that the cognitive realm is tied to the physical realm by the spiritual realm so like just put a pin in that
0: it's like two parts of an ice cream sandwich glued together by the vanilla ice cream
1: so kaladin is getting close to swearing the fourth ideal which I think we've already learned will bring him um, shard plate.
0: Mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So that's a pretty cool thing. And you'd think he would be like anxiously working towards it, but he seems kind of ambivalent about the entire process.
0: If you think about it, every time he's ever said one of these, you know, ideals, it's been precipitated by just abject misery oh, and terror true. and trauma. It's true. <laughs> so why would he be looking forward? To, what kind of bullshit do I have to go forward or through this time? <laughs> right. You know, I mean, this yeah. is way worse than any tattoo pain. This right. Is, you know. Uh,
1: so we get some reveals about Azure. We got to talk about that.
0: Yeah. Th- and that's, I'm glad we say this to last because this is the fa- my favorite part of the chapter, actually. Yeah. You know. Because Azure's not having any of it,
1: right? She's not falling in. On, no. She's not falling in line on this quest.
0: No, no. She's and, not
1: just going to become their ranger. <laughs> and yeah,
0: and why? Why would she? You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that I, one of the tropes that happens often in fantasy, is the idea that like, okay, we're thrust in a room together and. Well, now we're best buds. Now right. we're just we're now just now
1: your cause is my cause, and I'll I'll die
2: for you.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Now we're we're all in the same D and D party, and mm-hmm. and we can't you know you can't all leave, otherwise we won't be able to play next week. So you have right. to stick around, right? You know? Uh, you know, and Azure is sort of saying, um, I didn't sign up for this. The only reason why I'm here is because you idiots trapped me. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> what. Why am I going to, you You want to mutiny the ship? Fuck you. Like, I'm not going to have a part of that. Screw you. <laughs> That's so true. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that is my favorite part as well. Yeah. Um,
0: He's like, you would sell your honor for a sword or for passage. I forget what he says. Yeah. And she's like, honor? F- fuck you. You trapped me.
1: <laughs> she's like, I don't know you.
0: Yeah, right. You don't know me.
1: I don't know you like that.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to get where I'm going. <laughs> d-
1: Dude has lied to her from the d- minute he met her. Right? Like,
0: yeah. Like who, who does who does he think he is? <laughs> He's like, but, but I, but I'm the protagonist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my don't, floppy, glossy hair. Don't you know? Have you seen this bottle of Pantene? <laughs>
1: we get some tidbits about Azure's sword, which we've speculated quite a bit. Is it a shard blade? Is it not a shard blade? Is it like, like night blood or not? So she's showing her blade to the captain and the captain senses that the blade is kind of aware. And she says, you know, draw her slowly. She doesn't know you. She's got to check you out first. And, we, we find out that this blade is like a shard blade, but mm-hmm. without trapping a spren, um, it has the same powers. It's pretty cool. That is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, It doesn't get dismissed, but...
1: Correct. does not. It does not disappear. Well, it does not go back to Shadesmar, like... Yeah,
0: yeah, correct. You know,
1: yeah. like a shard blade does, but... So
0: I guess what we surmise, or somebody surmised the idea that her sword was trying to recreate Nightblood, but without all the evil overtones. Without of- all. <laughs> Well, the insanity that is Nightblood—that—that uh, that seems to be <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you know? exactly.
1: We also find out that her bounty that she is hunting for is Nightblood.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Which and
1: whoever brought Nightblood there,
0: which seems fair because because uh, right. Nightblood will destroy everything. I,
1: that does seem like a pretty solid priority. Yeah, like, I she's think like, so. I like Talon Argolin and all, but there's an evil sword out there.
0: I don't think you quite understand what this thing will do.
1: And I like that she doesn't just like spill her whole story to these complete strangers.
0: Correct. You yeah. know?
1: She's just kind of like, this is this is a Vivenna who is obviously, I mean, I'm thinking of her as being much, much older than we saw her in Warbreaker. Um, she's mature, she doesn't have anything to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's really come into her own mm-hmm. and she she's not she's not weighed down by the mistakes she made in the past so i i don't know i i like the character i wish we would see more of her
0: yeah agreed i have a feeling we will
1: well i mean she is the only adult traveling with like a bunch of teenagers yeah good
0: point so like
1: <laughs> hopefully gonna, she would be you're going to leave the
0: band <laughs> listen you magicked me into this garage. I never asked to be here. <laughs> right. Shoved a bass in my hand. I don't want to be a bass player. <laughs> right.
1: So my favorite line of the chapter is when someone, I can't even remember who says it, but someone says to Pattern, like, we certainly are an odd bunch. And Pattern is like, yes, there are seven of us. <laughs> yes, <I
2: know.
1: laughs> Chapter 109 is called Neshua Kadal. Dalinar pulls Venli into a vision. He asks her to consider a truce, and she demands that he surrender Alethkar. Odium tries to bust in like the Kool-Aid Man, but the Stormfather is able to delay him, at a great price. Venli is awed by Dalinar's radiant powers, remembering that his kind were once able to defeat her gods. She saves Timber from Odium, and Dalinar saves her, sending her home in the nick of time. Odium confronts Dalinar, but he isn't able to ascertain what Dalinar was up to.
0: This is the most narrative acid trip I've ever been on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was a it was a wild chapter. Uh huh. It reminds me of I, I don't. It reminds me a lot of the Parts and Enders game, where he's stuck in like the simulations and like mm-hmm. walking, walking through different parts and all the sort of crazy. The world mm-hmm. itself is changing around and mm-hmm. It has that sort of vibe to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, the end of. One of the Hunger Games books, mm-hmm. where the sky falls apart.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, it is definitely very trippy, and to go from Shadesmar to this vision, it's a very trippy transition
0: for sure. But before we get into that, can we start at the beginning? Beginning, which is the snapter? Yes, and can we agree that Reshafir is the coolest name in the book?
1: Absolutely. Right. In fact. I will pay you $10 to start calling me the Midnight Mother.
0: <laughs> I could call you Rechefier. You could. I could. But you know, we I would just... I will
1: pay you $8 to call me Rechefier. <laughs> $12 if you call me Rechefier the Midnight Mother.
0: Rechefier the Midnight... We're going to have to shorten it to Shep. No. <laughs> that I mean, that's what's going to happen, though. <laughs> Come on, ship.
1: <laughs> I will pay you zero dollars to call me ship.
0: <laughs> In fact, I'll take money out of your account.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to talk about the Snapters when we get to the end of this book because I, I have them kind of. That was my down. only comment. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I want. I want to. We definitely learned some things from those.
0: If this tower was alive, then it's dead now. Or sleeping. But if that is the case, I have no idea how to wake it. We tried jumping on her bed. I propped her eyelids open with toothpicks. (laughs) I threatened to post selfies on Instagram, but she just won't get up. No, he says, "Uh, if this tower was alive, blah, 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 blah. we tried infusing the heart like a fabrile. Mm -hmm. We even had Renarin push Stormlight into it. Nothing Mm -hmm. worked. Um, But listen... You don't just push into it. You let it push into you. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I don't think I don't think stormlight works because I think stormlight is native to Roshar and I don't think what's going on in this tower is
1: Hmm. Spicy take. I like it.
0: Well, I had to be I had to throw a few completely silly things out there before I got to the good right. stuff.
1: That is a, a thread that's been dangling. What's going on with the tower leading up to this idea? Is the tower going to become active at some point? They're definitely teasing that a lot. So hopefully we'll get to to see that happen. So let's kind of go through the plot points a little bit here. Okay. Dalinar has this idea that he wants to bring one of the the Parshendi, one of the fused or one of the Parshendi leaders into a vision so he can parlay with them. He's had to stop bringing regular people into visions because Odium comes in and just like gives everybody noogies and it's it's a total <laughs> drag. But he figures he can bring one of them in and maybe there won't be the same danger. He is wrong, <laughs> but that's what he's thinking. So he, so he grabs Venley, which is someone that the Stormfather has been watching as being a potential ally.
0: Yeah, he doesn't realize that Odium has turned on notifications for Venley.
1: <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> right. So, but it's a it's a neat trick that he's gonna try. Uh Venley gets sucked into this vision. And I thought it was worthy of noting that she thinks that Dalinar's face almost looks like a listener face. Hmm. So I jotted that down. She also notices that she's able to use the old rhythms, which she was never able to do when odium's attention was on her so she knows that odium is not there Mm -hmm. but pretty soon odium does start trying to bust in he can't see what's happening in the vision but he knows that dalinar is in there with someone
0: answer my dms
1: (laughs) (laughs) and things start breaking apart but because dalinar is a bondsmith area around him is able to remain stable. And Venli kind of has an important moment where she looks at Dalinar, he's glowing. Uh, she remembers that the the radiance, they used to call them Neshua uh, Kadal, which means radiant night. And she remembers that they were the ones who were able to beat back the fused for a while mm-hmm. and they were able to defeat the gods. She's come to the realization that she has brought about the end of her people a- as she knows them. And she doesn't really want that whole grand purpose thing the odium is offering. She's not buying it. So that's an important moment for her. And then especially when things really start to break apart, Dalinar risks himself to jump in and save her. I think that's going to be a really important moment. And she's yeah. also able to save Timber, who somehow appears in the vision and is about to get sucked away. But she's able to end up safely back in her room. So what do you think is going to happen there? Is 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 there going to be an alliance?
0: I mean, I think eventually at some level yes there there will have to be so yeah i think so but i want to go back to uh, some more fundamental questions like what are the mechanics of this like where the hell are they that odium comes and can tear it apart they're in a vision it's like it doesn't seem to be a physical place Maybe this is just how their brains are interpreting it. But it's a it's a weird sort of dynamic that the spren is there. They endure physical pain, but it's just a vision. But as soon as the vision in this, you know, wherever, like out in the ether happens, Odium knows about it right away and starts tearing the place. So it's, it's a weird sort of thing when you think about how does any of that actually work? I don't have any answers to it. Mm-hmm. It's just a... Thing I was thinking this whole time like because these visions are just so supposed to be like tapes that are playing in his head. You know, the the, the characters aren't really they're not really real mm-hmm. in the interactions except for Dalinar and Venley. So it's it's sort of bizarre that any of this works.
1: It's some kind of psychic shared dreamscape. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine it has something to do with the, the maybe the intersection of the cognitive and the spiritual realms and that
0: it's the vanilla ice cream between the two I don't it, know maybe. maybe
1: and that Dalinar being a bondsmith is able to because they can only come when the high storm is there mm-hmm. so it needs the the stormlight and the the investiture that's available in the high storm and able, able to be able to work mm-hmm. so something to do with that I'm sure there's a detailed like seven point plan as far as how that
0: I'm sure there is yeah That's
1: a good question.
0: But before he gets into the actual vision, he's sitting there with Navani, the High Storm's Mm -hmm. on its way, and Navani says, are you sure you want to do this? The Stormfather asked me something similar this morning. I asked him if he knew the first rule of warfare. Is that the one about terrain or the one about where attacking the enemy is weak? Neither, Dalinar said. Ah, right, Navani said. I should have guessed. The first rule of war is know your enemy. But he never actually said that. Mm-hmm. To her, he said, I asked him if he knew the first rule of warfare, and then he just stared off into space while she began talking to herself. <laughs> like, is the first rule of, shh, Elaine, Desperado. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, he just, I asked him if he knew the first rule of warfare, and then just stares out the window. Like, <laughs> What an asshole. Like, I,
1: I think Navani is just really excited that he's not like on a wine binge right now, that she'll take any form of conversation that she can get. Uh, yes. He's like, thank you for not being in a drunken stupor.
0: Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> You're doing great, sweetie. Like,
0: so then he gets in there with uh, with Venly, and she says, why have you brought me here? And he says, I want to talk. And she says, of course you do. Now that you're losing, uh huh. I mean, yeah, she's not wrong. She's not wrong, right? You know, he's like, I want to make a piece, and she's like, man, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't belong here, and we're winning, so fuck you. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that like his plan? Is his entire plan? Come on, come on. I said please. I mean, to be fair, when he was, uh, like, approaching all these different rulers, that kind of was pla- basically yeah. was his place. You know I love you, baby. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Just a tip, baby. <laughs> it's just the tip of peace. Right? <laughs> Next thing you know, you're getting fucked by peace. And that is an ancient singer proverb, she's not falling for that bullshit. <laughs> right. It's like, I've been fucked by peace before. <laughs> no, thank you. If I wanted to get fucked by peace, I could... Stay on the Shattered Plains by myself. <laughs> so then, you know, everything starts to fall apart, and it it very much reminds me of the vision that Dalinar had, uh, I think, where he first saw Odium, mm-hmm. when, when the worlds were just, like, torn apart, yeah. and it was just a giant, vast yeah. nothing. Yeah. Like, this is the, the void. This yeah. is the process of the void this is the bringing of the void yeah that all of this sort of is talking about mm-hmm. this is the end this is what the end looks like mm-hmm. if they don't stop odium right so they have the vision everything you know they go they both go back to their respective places when odium slaps them around and they fall back into their worlds and and uh are sitting there you know thinking back on what he's done and he said if there had ever been a hope for peace and he'd probably destroyed it by putting that Parshendi woman into a vision and subjecting her to Odium's horrors. Um, subjected to Odium's horrors is exactly what I feel anytime I watch The Masked Singer.
1: <laughs> you watch The Masked Singer.
0: <laughs> no, but if I had, that's what it would feel like. That's
1: what it would feel like.
0: Um, now subjecting her to Odium's horrors is probably the only way that she's actually going to see that she is weirdly on the wrong side of this war. Not that she's wrong about everything she thinks about mm-hmm. the Alethi. She's mm-hmm. not. But nonetheless, Odium's eventual goal is to destroy everything. Right. So she's, by that fact alone, on the wrong side of the war. Even if she's right about every other about how they've gotten there, every terrible thing the Alethi have done, she's still on the wrong side of the war. And she's probably not going to realize that unless she gets that sort of opportunity. But I think she probably also already knows that.
1: We, what I think Dalinar doesn't realize is that she's already been subjected to yeah. Odium's horrors. Every time that Odium that uh, Odium comes to her, mm-hmm. it's like pain and torture. Yeah. So she's kind of already realized that she this was not a great thing that she has accomplished. This was not a good idea.
0: Yeah. And we have an opportunity in one of the interludes to talk more about her. So we'll... Mm-hmm. We'll circle back to that later.
1: Chapter 110 is called A Million Stars. Things aren't looking too good for the Scooby gang. Pursued by the Fused, the ship's captain releases them. Azure stays behind, preparing an awakened arm to protect the ship. Shallan, Kaladin, Syl, Pattern, and Adolin escape to the shoreline and begin the trek inland towards Thalen City. So we start off with the, the... our, our gang of teenagers getting ready to leave the ship. Mm-hmm. The first thing I noticed was that Shallan chose to wear Vale's outfit because it has pockets.
0: Like you should.
1: Like you should.
0: You can't, listen, you can't jump out of a boat and track through a mystical place and try to survive out there on your own without pockets. Without pockets. Like that's, exactly. that's just some bullshit.
1: So when they leave, Azure tells them The when little you... black
0: dress is a prison is what I'm saying.
1: I, absolutely uh azure tells them when you next meet the swordsman who taught you that morning kata warn him that i'm looking for him
0: <laughs> why is he looking for him azure oh oh oh! No, i'm sorry she's the one who said yes it. Never mind. okay
1: yes yeah yeah which we had speculated on before that that's who yeah. mm-hmm. she was looking for and, and and who brought nightblood to roshar
0: She's also about to show off uh, to these friends some pretty cool breath skills. She is. She's like, did you cut those bolts of fabric the way I asked you to? Mm-hmm. Good, good. And the lumber? Did you lay it out in the pattern that I described? Yes, great. Okay. Did you bolt it all together for me? Outstanding. Uh, okay, and now you're going to hook the, mad- the madras up to my new boat? All right, great. Thanks. See you,
2: suckers. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> all right. <laughs>
1: That's cool. I just I just imagine she's making like a huge awakened like cloth
0: Godzilla. That's kind of what I think is actually gonna yeah. happen, but but I but but that would be funnier.
1: So that's kind of like the main plot things that happen. They get they get out of the ocean by creating rooms to walk along the bottom and then they get up and start, and it's gonna be kind of a long walk to get to Thalen City, but now they've kind of picked a direction we know that everybody's heading to the same place so we're, we're ga- getting towards the end end of the book it's going to be the
0: yeah there's not a lot in this chapter it's predominantly plot stuff here's how we get the characters from here to there the the fused are chasing them mm-hmm. i mean that you know that's about what we learn
1: chapter 111 is called isla Stell. hmm In Thalen City, Dalinar prepares for a meeting of his coalition. He takes a minute to bask in the unity he's created, so you know that isn't going to last long. Dalinar continues to hear a voice instructing him to unite them, even though he's already united every damn body there is. Just as the meeting gets going, there's a round of bad news. Not only is the Everstorm headed their way ahead of schedule, but someone has circulated the news that Elikar has sworn fealty to Dalinar, and that Dalinar has been meeting with Odium. As if that wasn't enough, the scholars in the room receive some world changing information regarding the very first appearance of the Void Bringers. So here it is. The big bomb gets dropped in this mm. chapter. Did this surprise you? Were you, I, I forget, had you been predicting this?
0: Uh, I definitely had not been predicting the idea that uh, the ro- the the humans, quote, humans on mm-hmm. Roshar, weren't the native inhabitants. Mm-hmm. That I had not predicted. My sort of origin story for the whole thing was not that at all. It, it makes sense in retrospect, and, mm-hmm. and I look at it from this perspective, and I go, oh, this makes a lot more sense as to mm-hmm. why the world looks this way, etc." cetera. Right. Um, but no, I had not predicted that. I mean, we had predicted that everybody was gonna get in a room and bitch at each other and walk away. And the, and the union was, you know, the fellowship mm-hmm, would be broken. Right. You know, that that part, I think, I knew was going to happen. But, mm-hmm. but not the particular details about the Parshendi and the Rosharans.
1: I remember this being such a huge aha moment because, like you, I kind of assumed that the world was all once like Shinovar and that, you know, everyone yeah. was once like humans. Mm-hmm. And you know, something then went wrong with the world, but to have it flipped on its head like that, that like, oh no, there's nothing wrong with the world, just the humans aren't from here. Yeah, exactly, and, yeah. you know, uh, An and then invasive they don't species. Fit, Right?
0: So all these, all these quote, humans are like, they're like those carp that jump in the boat in Illinois. You, yeah. start, you know, they just, boom, boom, yeah. they're not, they're <laughs> destroying everything, they're really obnoxious. What
1: were those fish, those Snakefish, needlefish? Yeah,
0: uh, snakeheads.
1: Snakehead fish, yes. The humans are the snakehead fish.
0: Interesting story. Oh. I used to fish in the pond where the very first snakehead was released and found.
1: (laughs) What did you do?
0: (laughs) I didn't put the snakehead in there, but but I might know where it came from. (laughs) I used to fish in that pond that the very first one was found in.
1: So the humans on Roshar are the snakehead fish. And now right. a lot of things kind of fall into place. That, you know, they, they came to sense, this yeah. planet. They were given Shinovar so they could, like, make their own little human settlement. And then the the story of the girl who looked up even more so makes sense. Absolutely. The story yeah, of yeah. a people who were were kind of trapped behind a wall. and And but, there is
0: a wall. There's a huge mountain range. That's damn near impassable.
1: Oh, the story is very on the nose. Yeah, it's not like the story is literally like metaphorical at all. (laughs) You're, you were supposed to stay behind your wall, (laughs) right? Yeah, and that the wall was there to protect the world from them.
0: Well, also, you know, it 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 causes you to question things about that story now, right? Because the part of the the girl who looked up that doesn't make sense, the part that isn't literal, is the idea that like no sunlight hit this area, Mm -hmm. right? Because remember we talked about it and like there's farmers, but there's no sun. Mm -hmm. How does that make sense? That can't literally be true. Mm -hmm. So what it leads me to believe is that what happens in Shinovar is that the storm light doesn't come in there. The storms avoid it. They move around the mountain range or something and that's the light that doesn't come on the other side. Um, But But if you're a... Human, Alethi, you know, Makabaki, and whatever. Uh, Stormlight is power. It's magic. So, seems to me that they came over the wall so they could take advantage of that magical power.
1: I think I think you're not wrong. I, I think...
0: I mean, that's a surface-level observation. Um, I haven't really thought about this.
1: So, there is Stormlight in Shinnevar now. But I speculate that at one time, or when the humans first came... That there was not. Yeah. And that be. that story, uh, the origin of that story, is someone coming out and somehow making it so that Stormlight was and Surge Binding co- could occur in Shinovar as well, um, especially given the revelation that it was Surge Binding that destroyed the humans' original planet, and that that yeah, is why. Mm-hmm. That is why the Recreants happened, that the Radiants were afraid of doing the same, and that is why they abandoned their oaths, well, which is a ca- pretty good reason.
0: Yeah, yeah. and Well, and also, does it cause you to question, then, the idea that, like, saying to a door, you're now a boat, like, maybe that's not good. Right. Right?
1: Yeah. Like, oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> don't you want to be a boat? No, I don't. I'm a fucking door. Like, <laughs> leave me alone.
1: So it brings in just that, that very most basic fantasy theme, which is the the cost of power.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and true. so
1: far we've, and we've talked about the, the, the extremely overpowered magic users in this book, you know, and we kind of finally see what the balance of that is that, Oh sure. They can fly, they can transform things. They can heal almost any wound, but, oh yeah, they destroyed their planet by doing that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it just adds a whole new wrinkle to what is this current crop of surge binders going to do.
0: But the chapter begins out with uh, Dalinar yes. uh, meeting with uh, Meredith Ramjam. <laughs>
1: so. Oh, Black Betty, which oh. now has, I think it's it's very interesting how they've merged, he's actually taken Sadius's name. Yeah, I know. So it's yeah. like Sadius 2.0.
0: Yeah, exactly. Hey, did you know that Amaram is actually the person who invented Axe body spray?
1: <laughs> I did not know that.
0: Yeah, it was his own personal collection of axes. <laughs> Several people died.
1: So Amaram, uh admits that Toral Sadius, was bad for the nation, and he asks Dalinar for a chance to prove that he's not the same.
0: But he also goes through this conversation demonstrating over and over and over again that he, he doesn't get it.
1: Exactly. He's got no there's no humility there. There's no. this this kind of false nobility, but there's no uh, willingness to accept his own mistakes
0: or to see beyond his own interests. Mhm. Yeah. You know, numerous times is like can we can we get out of here? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he has no concern about the, you know, Thalen City being overrun. Right. By, like, whatever. What does that have to do with us?
1: Right. So I did like the uh, permission to stab him a little, sir. (laughs) I also noted that, once again, we see Malata on Oathgate duty. And it's mentioned again that, oh, she's been signing up for the Oathgate duty a lot. I'm sorry, but if someone is signing up for Oathgate duty a lot just got to keep an eye on that person. (laughs) I'm sorry.
0: She's taking night classes at evil university. (laughs) Right. She's getting her associates in evil studies. Um, So they have the, go ahead.
1: And and I also noted that Renarin asks some questions about larger gemstones.
0: That was actually my next point as well.
1: Well, lay it on me.
0: Renarin lingered watching the merchants. How big are the gemstones they brought? He asked. Brightlord Fen Sun said, glancing towards Dalinor for help. They'll be spheres, normal spheres. Any larger gemstones? Renarin asked. <laughs> he turned towards them. Anywhere in the city? Sure, lots of them. Fen Sun said. Some really nice pieces, like in every city. Um, why, Brightlord? Because Renarin said.
1: No, Renarin. And he
0: didn't say anything more. So Dalinar in this chapter, Dalinar confronts Amaram, mm-hmm.
2: uh,
0: and yet Renarin still manages to be the most awkward thing here.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: So we we also have a lot of conversations with uh, between we have a conversation between Dalinar and uh, the Stormfather. Yes, where the Stormfather you know he's apologizing to the Stormfather for what I did. Oh, it's no big deal. Uh, but we we also learn a, a few things. I noted. Uh, This particular quote, I live, this is the Stormfather speaking, Mm -hmm. I live only because the enemy fears exposing himself to a strike from cultivation. Mm -hmm. Dalinar says, uh, so she lives still then? The third god? Yes. Yes, you've met her. I have? You do not remember, but normally she hides. Cowardice? Perhaps wisdom, Dalinar said. The Night Watcher is not her, Mm. says the Stormfather. Also, cowardice is the Alethi word for survival. Mm -hmm. It appears to be, because I think Dalinar's right in this (laughs) instance. Why, You know.
1: So we learn that the Night Watcher is not cultivation. That cultivation is like the Stormfather, a spren that is the shadow of a god. And that there is a third sibling, like the Stormfather, that they are slumbering. And when Dalinar asks more questions, uh, he's told, you hurt them enough, leave them alone. So we've heard in the Snapters mm-hmm. some time ago, there was talk of the sibling.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but now we're getting a little bit more of a tidbit.
0: You know, and I'm scratching my head with the whole, you've met her once idea. Right. Like, right. like, I can't for the life of me think of who the hell he's talking about.
1: Put a pin in it.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, Add it to your yarn wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So Dalinar asks, and I think this is an important question, because in his last interaction with Odium, Odium tells him that he's the only one who cares about men's pain, that he's the only one who cares about people's feelings. Mm-hmm. And Dalinar asks if that's true. He said, did, did Honor care about? And and the Stormfather says, absolutely, he did. Toward the end, he got a, like a little obsessed with oaths and other things, but he loved humankind and he, he sacrificed himself to save you. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think that's, that's a really important thing that he learns. I think then we have this little conversation with Taravangian, and Taravangian says, and I think this is important, he says, I'm well today, but today is not to, a good day to be heartless, so I worry.
0: Yeah, I noted that as well. I like the sentence before it as well. So the conversation sort of begins, what's wrong, Dalinar asks. I'm just worried, my scholars. It's nothing, Dalinar. Nothing. Silliness. Because when I think of silliness, I think Teravangian. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mr. Bean. Mm-hmm. I think Pete Holmes. And then it's v- Vargo Teravangian. That's mm-hmm. that's my silliness scale. Uh, and then he gets into the, uh, it's not a good day to be heartless, so I worry. Heartless, question mark. What did he mean? So obviously this is him stealing himself up. Mm-hmm. To go into this meeting knowing what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Yeah. So, I, it's an interesting thing to sort of latch on to. I don't know that it tells us a whole lot more than we already knew, but it should hopefully tell Dalinar a little bit more. Yes. Then he
1: knew. It sounds like Taravangian is right at the point where his, maybe his conscience and his intelligence are balanced equally, Mm -hmm. where he is not, uh, he has enough compassion to care that he doesn't have compassion right now.
0: It's a really, uh, really weak uh, version of Kylo Ren saying, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it.
1: (laughs) Oh, sorry. My heart just even twisted when you just even said that.
0: Hello, my name is Matt. (laughs) What do you guys think about Kylo Ren? (laughs) One of the best SNL skits ever.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So they go into this meeting, and Dalinar's hearing someone be like, unite them, and he's like, how much more do you want me to unite them? He's like, (laughs) (laughs) I just... Everybody's got to hold hands, like, I don't
0: know. <laughs> what, this broken vase? Jesus, what are, <laughs>
1: What am I supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. Um, and Renarin bugs out halfway through the meeting. Yeah. So he sensed something, and I cannot wait until we start digging more into Renarin's powers, because they're sort of in the background at this point. We don't know what he knows or how he knows it, but he knows stuff. And at that point, Yasna receives a translation of the... Ila Stel, Ila Stelle. Not sure how to pronounce that. Audiobook listeners can correct me if you want. But it's a, a document that was written in the Dawn Chant that was a description of the first coming of the Void Bringers. And of course, what we find out is that we were the Void Bringers all along.
0: We <laughs> were the barbarians all along. It was always us.
1: And that this is the truth. It's that, made of people, <laughs> right? And then all the secrets come out and everybody just loses their shit.
0: And my favorite part is when when Yasna sighs, <sighs> I had suspected this for a long time.
1: Right. She's like, <laughs> Shut up. I know you did it, Yasna. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yasna can never be surprised.
0: No, yeah. Can't do that. Yeah.
1: Someone's like, oh my gosh, we were the, and she's like, the Roy Bringers all along. No, I, knew it. Right. I knew I know, I knew it. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs>
0: Who wants to play Trivial Pursuit? (laughs) That is the truth, she says, that destroyed the Radiance. And I say, no, it's not. No? No.
2: Hmm,
1: okay. All right. I can't wait for your predictions. But let's move on to chapter 112 called For the Living. Kaladin remembers his backstory girlfriend, Tara, She left him because he was emotionally unavailable. Surprise, surprise. The Shazmar gang is pushing hard for Thalen City. They arrive after a grueling two-day hike, only to find the Oathgate guarded by thousands of enemy spren. I really don't hate Kaladin as a character, but I feel like my last couple chapter descriptions have been (laughs) kind of down on him.
0: I mean, it's not Kaladin at his best. (laughs) I guess not. I mean, he's sort of like... He's sort of like that guy on the football team that, like, you know if he doesn't play, you're going to lose 47 to nothing. Right. But he's also kind of an asshole. Like, he's not <laughs> a lot of fun to be around, you know? Like, that's kind of Kaladin's character.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just because I like him less than the other characters, I'm kind of just like... it. Yeah. It's oh, like, geez, Kaladin.
0: It's like if Joe Montana was constantly trying to sell you Amway. <laughs> like, what are you doing today to f- fuel your future opportunities? Come over <laughs> to my party and we'll learn about how we can help each other. <laughs> Fucking Joe Montana, just shut up and throw touchdowns. Jesus.
2: I'm
0: tired.
1: So, Kaladin has a backstory girlfriend. So, we know that he's not like.
0: She's from Canada.
1: I told she's from Canada. You wouldn't know her.
0: I mean, cute. Mm-hmm. Cute little section. At um, least this one didn't lose her leg in a bear trap. Right.
1: So, yeah, we, we do get a little bit of layers as far as what Kaladin's past relationships have been like. Um, you know, I guess what frustrates me about his character is you can only go so long refusing to take responsibility for your own emotional state. And yeah. he just kind of seems to bounce from person to person and be like, well, I can't help it. Yeah. I'm a jerk. Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: You knew I was a jerk.
0: I told you I was a jerk all along.
1: So, you know, seeing him in this section and seeing how he's just kind of, you know, still the same. Now, that being said, I, I just seem to have a lot less sympathy for the fact that he is like undergone repeated ongoing trauma like this entire time so how is he supposed to grow as a person
0: well and he has a terrible terrible victim complex Mm -hmm. yeah but he's been a terrible terrible victim horrible things like it's true you know like i mean He's kind of a bummer, but yeah. <laughs> but he's not wrong.
1: And it's not that he hasn't grown as a character because every time he's sworn an ideal, he's yeah. kind of pushed past something and and moved forward in his character growth. So I, I don't know why I can't put my finger on why I it's, find it's, his lack of growth yeah. more annoying than anything else. It's but.
0: dinner with Solzhenitsyn again. He's going to talk about the purges. He's going to talk about the gulags. <laughs> right? I can't I can't have another bowl of borscht with you, Solzhenitsyn.
1: <laughs> right.
0: You're not wrong. I just don't want to hear about it. (laughs) Can we just play Scrabble? (laughs) Just one time. I would like to play Scrabble without the word gulag being one of the clues. (laughs) 47 points for Solzhenitsyn. I'm out of this goddamn book club.
1: That's kind of (laughs) (laughs) Kaladin. Did I ever tell you guys about the time my friend got her legs stuck in a bear trap? (laughs) Yes, Kaladin, you you might
2: have mentioned Jesus it. Jesus Christ. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it was really terrible.
1: <laughs> uh, are we awful people? <laughs> we might be awful people.
0: I got a friend named Kaladin. He works at a dispensary, and it's the best place for him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, the next thing I noted was... Okay, well, first off, the title of the chapter is For the Living, and that kind of comes from one of the last things that his girlfriend says to him, which is, maybe someday you'll learn how to be there for the living, not just for the dead. So That's a good point. That's where Kaladin's character crisis is right now. Mm -hmm. He's learned how to, um, you know, he's... He's shown himself willing to defend the helpless. He's then shown himself willing to defend people that he hates as long as it's right. He's kind of pushed past the idea of, you know, what if there are two different sides uh, who both think they're right? You know, which one do I choose? Mm -hmm. So now he's kind of got to move past this next barrier. I also noted that it's strange. They keep talking about how they haven't seen any other anger spren or large predators yet. Where are they?
0: They're being held at bay by a big, nasty mama's friend.
1: <laughs> we don't know. So those were kind of the things that I noticed in this chapter. All right, chapter 113 is called The Thing Men Do Best. That's sexist.
0: It's masturbate.
1: <laughs> Women are equally good at masturbating.
0: I don't know. I don't think so.
1: <laughs> in this chapter... Reeling with the news that Dalinar met with Odium and with the truth about the Recreants, the coalition disbands. Things are not looking too good at the end of part four. So, we're just kind of further reflecting on the information that we were given, and Dalinar's uh, thinking about how, you know, so we learned that humans were given Shinovar because it was the most like their home, um, and that the Radiants did abandon their vows. Not just out of guilt for finding out that they were the ones who conquered Roshar, but from fear that they would destroy it. And and Bridge Four ends up leaving for Urethiru. They're trying to decide what to do in light of all this. And they decide they're going to wait for Kaladin.
0: This is also where Dalinar sits around and sort of broods to himself, going, Oh, this is, you know, this is what happened. Yeah, we're just kind of like
1: winding down and processing. But he also, I believe, he's talking to the Stormfather. And it's neat to see the Stormfather kind of developing a little bit as well. He tells Dalinar that um, his bond has helped him understand why the recreants happened. And he said, you know, he couldn't understand it before he didn't have empathy for human beings or understanding about their emotional states. He said, but now because of this, I kind of understand and almost think that they did the right thing. He also tells him that, um, you know, this is not was not new information. This is something that the Radiants kind of learned over and over. But he said when Honor started dying, he was no longer able to convince the current crop of Radiance that their cause was righteous, and that just really made me think of Kaladin's mm. most recent crisis, where he literally lost his powers when he lost the certainty that he was on doing the right thing
0: yeah absolutely for sure
1: so i just again i find that so compelling this idea of your your magic powers being tied to your growth as a person and your um your certainty that you're using them the right way yeah and even though we've seen now that doesn't mean that everyone's always going to be on the same side we've seen mulatta who is going to use her powers against the other radiance because she believes that getting revenge on them is the right thing to do.
0: Well, it's also, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's interesting that your source of power comes from your conviction that you're doing the right thing, even if what you're doing is not the right thing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Or is there an, an absolute right thing even? Yeah. So the Stormfather also tells Dalinar that at the end, all that Honor wanted to talk about were the Dawn Shards. He said the dawn shards destroyed the Tranquilin Halls, which is kind of a bummer because, like, a lot of people in Roshar are really looking forward to the Tranquilin Halls.
0: Well, also, so we find out in the last chapter with Dalinar uh, that the, quote, humans, you know, were not native to Roshar. The, the, the listeners were uh, the native population, and they came in and took over. You know, but now we also start getting reminders or we get seeded information that tells us, oh, the Dawn Shards destroyed your other planet. Mm -hmm. Like, we're starting to get information that could be read as being contradictory or at least additional information to what we learn from the Dawn Chant that Yasna translated. Which is part of what leads me to believe that it's not... I'm not saying that what Yasna is saying is incorrect. Um, the Rosharans, you know, and the, and the Knights Radiant did abandon, uh, did abandon Urethiru as a result of learning this information. But what I'm saying is, is that's it's not the whole story. There's more we're going to learn about this that's going to make it more complicated than what it already seems.
1: Oh, I can pretty much guarantee that there will be more for <laughs> us to learn.
0: Yeah, because you don't you don't put a big secret like that out in a ten book series, and then two and two thirds of the way through the series, say, "Here's the big secret." Right. All right. So one thing that is sort of frustrating in this that we, in this chapter, it's not that it's bad necessarily it's just frustrating about dalinar's character is he's continuing to sort of ponder what's going on with teravangian and he's like he's like terry teravangian was really upset about this you know he's so philosophical and then he's like well but is he philosophical like i thought like you know and he like he's just like him wrestling with it i understand it it's frustrating to observe
1: because we know the truth correct you know how in a million years, I can't imagine in a million years anybody would guess that a character is, yeah, has as unique a problem as Taravangian does, which makes it so that's just what makes it so compelling to me. Interlude 12 is called The Rhythm of Withdrawal. Venli is in Thalena, addressing the crowds of the formerly enslaved Parshman. Her job as head of the Fused PR team still sucks, but at least Odium doesn't seem to realize that she shared a vision with Dalinar. The Fused take her to their fleet of ships, which are preparing to attack Thalen City. When she asks the Fused in charge why they need the former slaves to join the battle at all, he tells her that the Fused are winning this land back for them. Speaking to the rhythm of withdrawal, he tells her that when the land is free, he and his kind will sleep at last.
0: And that's why... The Fused are crazy.
1: They are creepy, creepy mofos, let me tell you.
0: And that's why they're, they're insane, because they haven't slept in 4,000
1: years. That will happen. <laughs> I mean, I just think about 2007. I think I slept like 45 minutes the entire <laughs> year. <laughs> I was a little crazy.
0: It was a little touch and go there for a while. It was a
1: little touch and go there.
0: She turned away, as instructed that she do after the end of each speech. She wasn't allowed to answer questions any longer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Not since she talked with some of these singers about the specific history of her people. They made her wonder, did the fuse and the void fear the heritage of her people, even as they used her for their purposes? So, yeah, so right after we hear this whole thing about the history of the, quote, humans on Rashar and uh, how the listeners are native to the planet and humans are outsiders, we start to get this tidbit leading us to believe, again, that things maybe aren't as clear-cut as mm-hmm. they seem. Like, Why do they not want to talk anymore about the origin? And they seem to want to talk about their victimhood and they want to go back a certain distance mm-hmm. in their past, but they don't want to go back too far into their past.
1: Well, we certainly don't want to talk about the fact that Venley's people literally got themselves stuck in dull form as the only way that they could escape yeah. their body-snatching cods that, oh, hey, by the way, the fuse that you see are all possessed former listeners. <laughs> like... Yeah, it's pretty horrifying.
0: Yeah. And let's remember that it's the it's the Alethi that are the enemy. The Alethi are the enemy. Let's mm-hmm. not forget the Alethi are the enemy. Never mind. We deliberately enslaved ourselves to escape the people who are telling us yeah. that the Alethi are the enemy. So there's definitely something more going on there. Yeah.
1: And again, I think it's significant. So it, it says here that Venli is instructed because she's in Thelena to speak about the passions and to talk about emotions because the, uh, the, the former Parshmen who are here uh, are very much like what the, the humans around mm-hmm. them were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really significant. We've seen that mentioned a couple of times. Interlude 13 is called Ryson. Still paralyzed from her fall, Ryson now works for Queen Fenn. She's visited by her old Babsk Vestim, who just took a job in the Thalen government as well. On a routine audit of the Queen's vault, Ryson and Vestim are attacked by one of the Fused, who is magically disguised as a Thalen guard. Their assailant is after the King's Drop, a perfect gemstone that hasn't lost a drop of stormlight in over 200 years. Vestim is stabbed, but Ryson is able to defeat the Fused with a little help from her Larkin, Cheery Cheery. So this is kind of an exciting little interlude. I mean, yeah, the interludes are they're a little kind of refreshing break, but this is like we got a little heist action going on.
0: Yeah, this is like uh, the this is like Ocean's Eleven R- Roshar edition. Right? right, and we're
1: we're invested enough in Rice, as we've seen her through various interludes that we that we care.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. where she's True. at. Yeah, if you think about it, in Roshar, Ocean's Eleven would we'll probably just be like one frat dude with a shard blade. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> because i mean there's no there's no need to thieve anything right uh so in roshar Lamore and jean tannen would probably be running a bridge probably
1: <laughs> probably
0: it starts out my favorite part of the chapter it starts out she had an audit today We
2: <laughs> <laughs> with
0: nine e's <laughs>
1: Ryson has such a neat little mini, like a little character arc here. You know, we saw her as being this, she was the intrepid trader's apprentice. She manages to uh, impress these, the island people so much that she um, is able to, that they gift her with a living Larkin, which no one has ever seen before. No one even knew they had them. Mm -hmm. But in the process, she ends up becoming paralyzed. So now she's stuck in this wheelchair and she's, completely lost her self confidence so her babsk who comes in to try and convince her to reach for something more than what she's doing and he gives her a ship a trading ship mm-hmm. and he's like you're going to do this you need you need to to move forward you're able to do more than this she's not willing to but then by the end of the interlude we see her able to escape an assailant and and to manage to load a crossbow and uh with with no legs which is something you i guess need feet for i don't for leverage i've never loaded a crossbow Mm -hmm. but at the end of it she realizes that she wants to live and she wants to do more than audit bank vaults and that she's going to go out on her ship so it's just very satisfying little journey
0: plus she's got an adorable pet
1: cheery cheery come on come on so cute this interlude got me thinking a lot too about, so she talks in the beginning about how she still has her pot of shin grass. And I was really struck by the implications of what we've learned on what we know about the shin and the fact that they're the closest to what the original humans were like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and how what we know about them is they, that A, violence was taboo. If they're coming from, Having destroyed their own planet through surge binding, that taboo against violence and fighting mm-hmm. makes a lot more sense. Um, the fact that stepping on stone is taboo because you know, initially they were supposed to keep in their little valley. yeah, so I just wonder if that's where that came from.
0: I mean, it makes sense.
1: And they weren't supposed to leave. The fact that they're they're xenophobic and that kind of makes sense uh, in the context of what we learned about them as well. The fact that they have stormlight, but Spren rarely manifest there in Shinovar, mm-hmm. Kind of all uh, uh, comes together. It was just a neat little moment for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The King's Drop. Gemstones of its size weren't unheard of. Most great shells had gem hearts as big. What made the King's Drop unique was that it was still glowing over 200 years after first being locked in the vault. The stem touched it with one finger. So in earlier chapters in... In Shadesmar, we talk about the idea of a perfect gem
2: mm-hmm.
0: not losing its stormlight. Makes me wonder, is this thing visible from Shadesmar?
1: I don't know, but I think it's significant that Renarin was asking about yeah large gemstones in the city.
0: And and then got up and left the room.
1: Right. So there's, there's something about this, and now one of the fused is trying to steal it.
0: Mm-hmm. They say something's going on there. Something is, they say it's a chunk off the stone of 10 dawns. The only thing that
1: sounds important,
0: sounds important, (laughs) right?
1: Call something the something of 10 dawns if it's not very important. Yeah, I
0: mean, that's what I'm calling my keys from now on, so I (laughs) never lose them anymore. So my question is: Is it perfect because it was created by the original creator gods and not by these lesser gods who came later? Is that what the dawn is in reference to? And no. Every Good time question. we hear, I don't know. Every time we hear the word dawn, dawn chant, dawn mm-hmm. shards, something bad happens.
1: That's true. You're not wrong there.
0: So the fuse come in with the attempt to steal it. Why?
1: Don't know.
0: They want it bad, though. They do. They do want it bad. So to me, it seems like it could be one of two reasons why they want it. One, because it holds some sort of emotional cultural value Mm -hmm. that we don't yet know about. Or what I think is more likely for more pragmatic purposes. I say to use it in Shadesmar. Because it's a way to transport a large quantity a stormlight to Shadesmar in a way Mm. that won't dissipate. And we know there's something, they're doing something in Shadesmar. There's some sort of, they're fighting this war on two fronts. Uh, You know, they're fighting a war in Shadesmar to take over Shadesmar while they're also fighting a war on Roshar to take over Roshar.
2: Mm.
0: You know, this seems to me like a way for them to get stormlight over there.
1: I like the way you think.
0: Or to to sell it to try to bribe, you know, to try to bribe the king of the honors. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But some, I feel like it, the intention is to take it into Shadesmar. And if one of the fused is here potentially from Shadesmar, does that mean that the gate? that they are suspecting is in Thalen City might actually be there. Mm. Is this not a fused who came from Kolinar, but instead one who came in from Shadesmar through this, you know, perpendicularity or whatever uh, to try to steal this and then run back in?
1: Well, yeah, it's a gate in, the oath gate in Thalen City. The perpendicularity oh, was some other thing. Oh, that's right. They decided okay. not to go there. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right.
0: That's the one that was in uh, the mountain, The Horneder Peaks. The Horneder Peaks, yeah.
1: Which is, if you think back, there was a, a time when Rock was telling a story about meeting Wit, who we assume is Wit, yeah,
2: that yeah. he met
1: one of the gods or one of the, mm-hmm. he, he met someone uh, in the sacred pools at the Horn Eater Peaks. So if that's a, a perpendicularity and a way of traveling between worlds, that would make sense, that it Wit would. would have shown up there. Interlude 14 is called Teft. Teft is not doing too well. He's barely managing his addiction. His men are all upset about the recreance thing. And this spren he sort of made an oath to won't let him be. An attack on bridge four rounds out the worst day ever. The attacker was disguised as a lethy and managed to sneak in using Tef's coat, which he traded for drugs. Oh, that's hard, Tef. That's a bad look, bro. That's a bad one. Oh, yeah. It's
0: a victimless crime. Oh, not Not so much.
1: Um, so the first thing I noted is that Malata's working the Oath Gate again. They're really driving that home.
0: (laughs) Just to remind you. Hey, guys.
1: Malata's working the Oath Gate.
0: Sometimes when Dalinar ran, he didn't get tired like the other Bridgemen, and he glowed. (laughs) Yeah. How many times are they going to tell us? This is
1: probably going to be a bad idea.
0: (laughs) Probably something you should pay attention to.
1: Um, and the other thing I noted was that Tef Spren has some major oaths wearing blue balls. Right? Like, just, when,
0: when are we going to do this?
1: <laughs> She's just, it's just so fun. She's just following him everywhere. Hey, Tef. Hey, hey tef-, 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 Yo, tef. Hey, Tef, Tef. Hey, Tef. Hey, Tef. tef-
0: <laughs> what was that thing? You used to say it all the time back in the day. Oh, yeah, O's. Oh, yeah, O's.
1: <laughs> the first time I read this, I thought that Rock was you know rock goes down and i was like (gasps) but he was only badly injured but one of the other because we like him right we like him
0: so yeah one of the other bridgemen gets killed of course because we don't know who he is exactly that's the way
1: but nobody can find renarin so our section ends on a
0: renarin's chasing that uh king's drop king's drop yeah
1: of the 10 dawns
0: i mean it's got to be important
1: it's got to be important so that's where we are. And Teft kind of at this point is like done with himself. He he runs away. He's full of shame, obviously. Um, but the other important thing that we need to to note in these last couple of interludes is that the Fused have the ability to magically disguise themselves, much like Lightweavers do. Yeah. So that's a
0: wrinkle. So anybody could be effused. Mm -hmm. If you find anybody just laughing hysterically for no reason, they're probably (laughs) effused. They're
1: probably effused. Ladies, if your man keeps staring off into space and giggling, he might not be your man.
0: Or he might be hanging out with Odium and Venley (laughs) on a wicked trip. All right.
1: So that is our coverage of this section. It is.
0: 115 in the bank. Are you ready to talk about some listener interactions?
1: Yes. So Chuck Spurlock asks, will this be your finale to the Stormlight Archives? No. No.
0: No, we got probably two more left.
1: Yes, yes. Brian McClure asks, did you see that Voidbringer twist coming?
0: I think we talked
1: about this a little, but no again. Also no.
0: (laughs) Didn't see that coming.
1: Um... Phyllis Hart says, do we know our reading assignment for the next book? Um, I will try to limit myself to that amount. Um, so our next book club will be, what did we say? I think we said it in the uh, beginning. One four,
0: hundred, chapters 114 through 119. Through
1: 119, yes.
0: I think Phyllis is asking about what we're going to read in Gardens of the Moon. Oh,
1: Gardens of the Moon, yes.
0: I think we're going to read chap- uh, excuse me, the prologue in Chapter 1.
1: Yes, Gardens of the Moon is a lot more dense, so we will not be doing five, yeah. ch- ten chapters at a
0: time. Yeah, also, it's not as big of a book. It's only about 500 pages. Right. Uh, depending on what version you get, five, 600 mm-hmm. pages. Uh, but the chapters are long. Yes. So I think we're just going to do the prologue in the first chapter. Yes. Theogram Brown says, Was Adolin created by soul casting? A god, golden retriever. <laughs> ah, you called him a golden retriever. <laughs> The mind meld is complete. (laughs) (laughs) Or Inbar says, the most adorable of them all. Theo, Uh, Yeah, maybe.
1: Theo also says, actually, which Disney prince is Adolin? (laughs) He's not quite Eugene from Tangled. He feels a little too Ken doll for that. Oh,
0: agreed, yeah. Eugene actually had a little bit of personality. Um, That's a good question. That
1: is a good question.
0: I think he's charming. I think he's the original... The original Charming. Like, who, who never says anything, sings a couple lines, and then that's it.
1: Maybe. I don't know.
0: I, I say old school, original, first gen Prince Charming.
1: I'll have to think about that one. I'll come back to you.
0: Okay. Orin Bar says, as a Rosharan, will you be for or against the return of the Radiance? Um, listen, uh, Radiance out of the bag? So, you know, I don't think you can, I don't think you can uh, unring that bell. So listen, I, for one, welcome our new overlords
1: and masters. (laughs) Right. Theo says, what the hell was going on with Dalinar giving Venli the vision? Couldn't work out what he expected. And surely Odium was there because Venli uh, was yet. She was trying to avoid him finding her. Yeah, I think he was. Tr- she was trying to avoid him finding her because every time he finds her, she's you know submitted to excruciating pain and torture. Um, yeah.
0: I think I think Dalinar's thought is, I haven't tried this yet. Right. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Like. Just let me keep trying different things. I think is his perspective, and I think we found out in Venley's interlude that he was Odium was not there because Venley was there. Odium was there because
1: Dalinar was because there.
0: because Dalinar was there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Having said that, it's not like Dalinar had any any idea what was going to happen. He's mm-hmm. he's just he's just taking shots in the dark to try something different. Mm-hmm. He also uh, Theo also says. Theo also says, humans as the virus, I didn't expect that. But at the same time, I wasn't really shocked. A bit like how Joffrey's uh, end in the TV show just kind of happens, whereas in the book, you're like, yeah, what? I don't mm-hmm. know why it didn't have the same oomph, though. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, like, when I found out about it, I was like, oh, okay. But it wasn't, um, it wasn't mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't one of those things where I read it and I was like, Oh my God, my brain is broken, and I'm throwing this book across the room. Or mm-hmm. you know, um, I think part of that is because it doesn't feel whole. It doesn't feel complete. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like the whole story, right? It feels like one more, like one more cool thing Seth can do that we're going to find nine other things later, right? You know, going. It doesn't feel like the entire the entire truth.
1: Mm-hmm. Theo also says. Also, sounds like people came from a world with surge binding, even though it seems like other Cosmere worlds have different magic types. So there's a couple ways I think that that could be interpreted. I think they could have come from another. I think the other Cosmere worlds are not in the same solar systems. It's not like they're all in the same. They're kind of different galaxies. But I don't think it's it's exactly been revealed. You know, what's the deal with that yet? Brian McClure says, favorite quote in this section?
0: I have an audit today. We with 90s. That's my favorite.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I already said mine is pattern saying, not understanding that yeah, odd, yeah, odd means more than yeah. one thing.
0: Brian also says, what are Dawn shards? They're fucking important, man.
1: Obviously. <laughs>
0: I don't know.
1: (laughs) Theo says they're a minor Motown act. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a lot of speculation. If you go on the Facebook group page, you can read everybody's thoughts on what the Dawn Shards are. Um, But Brian says, could a Dawn Shard have shattered the Shattered Plains?
0: Everybody knows. Something did. Everybody knows that the Shattered Plains were shattered by a big-ass boot.
1: Matias Sanchez says, I know you guys don't do fandom news anymore, but what are your thoughts on the upcoming Dune film? Um, so psyched for it.
0: Very excited about it. Yeah, I haven't really, I haven't really been following a lot of the news about it. I guess there's a part of me that's like, they're not really going to do that. And now it's actually sounding like it's really going to happen. I should start actually paying attention.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm psyched for it. The cast looks great. It looks like it's going to be the real deal.
0: It's all about who they cast as, uh, as Paul mm-hmm. and who they cast as Chani.
1: So, Paul is going to be played by Timothy Chalamet who Okay. He's be, he's very acclaimed, okay? He was um he's played a a bunch of different, I don't know. He's very serious good young actor apparently. Great. Um Chani is going to be Zendaya.
0: Okay, I thought that's what I, I, I knew she was going to be in it, and she, That that's what made sense. I I dig that casting.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I dig it as well. Um, I
0: think Zendaya is underappreciated as an actress, because, uh, you know, you have a lot of folks who have come out of that Disney school, and most of them haven't gone on to actually be successful, serious, mm-hmm. you know, actors and actresses, um, but I, I think Zendaya
1: yeah zendaya she's she's talented she's got real chops she can pull yeah. it off mm-hmm. um duncan idaho is jason momoa
0: all right there you go
1: um oscar isaac do you know who that is no he was um uh, poe dameron in star wars Oh, ah, okay um he is playing leto atreides
0: ah that's good
1: um yeah uh they they're it's a good cat I, I won't read the whole thing but it looks pretty awesome i'm excited
0: Katrina Knudsen said, I saw a news story today that said a town in Maryland uh, was warning their residents to put on pants while checking the mail. Uh, be honest. Uh, was this you? <laughs>
1: we'll never tell.
0: Now, that town is about 40 miles from here.
1: <laughs> You've already heard of this?
0: Oh, I know. Yeah, I know all about this. <laughs> well, it, it because it happened in Tantytown. Uh, which is a, there are two tiny towns in Maryland.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There's this tiny town
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, that they're talking about, which is a town of, I don't know, like 10 or 15,000 people. It's not very big. Uh, but about three miles from where I grew up in St. Mary's County is the other tiny town, mm-hmm. which is a, a named town, despite the fact that it has literally four houses. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I'm not it, it, there's four houses there. That's mm-hmm. it. That's the only thing there's there. So, yeah. So it caught my attention because just so, just because of the name.
1: Put your pants on, Tiny Town. That's right. Brian McClure says, Is the girl who looked up a story of humans coming to Roshar? We kind of talked about yep, that. I think yeah, we, we do. That. Absolutely. Yep. I think that's what that alludes to. Susan King says, Why would you leave Shinovar for the Shattered Plains or pretty much any of the other territories?
0: Fair Good question. Fair
1: question. <laughs> Susan.
2: Fair question.
1: knows? I mean, yeah, I think obviously there was Stormlight on the other side, but I, even yeah. so, if I had to choose between Stormlight and Chicken, uh, I'm sorry, chicken, <laughs> chicken wins all the way. <laughs> like... Flying or chicken? Or you? Okay, okay. This is like one of those button questions. Or okay, those,
0: it's one of those Facebook. You can yeah. only you can only pick one of these things. Yeah. And it's chicken or flying. <laughs>
1: you can fly, but you have to eat snail. Nothing but snails for the rest of your life.
0: I mean, I like snail, but snails <laughs>
1: and polyp grain. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Ugh, I don't know. I think that's, I'm gonna. That's have a, my, tough it's a tough I'm one. I'm gonna stick with chicken.
0: Susan also says. Uh, We know that people from different places have different physical traits. Do you think that Sanderson is using Darwin's theory of evolution? I don't know. I I mean,
1: and and then Josh Broadhead replies to her and says, um, it mentions that the horn eaters and Herdazians who have listener slash singer traits, you know, they, they seem to have kind of merged with the environment a little bit which that's a very good point. As the horn eaters can um, they can chew shells and they can also see spren and the herdasians have kind of horn like nails.
0: Yeah, and I certainly think we've demonstrated in other areas and as as well as with the alethi that there's some degree of adaptation going on. So, yeah, I think at a certain level, yeah, I think that's probably mm-hmm.
1: right. Uh, Susan King also says, "I had originally thought that world travelers were coming through the Oath Gates. I'm now wondering if they're coming through Shadesmar. What are your thoughts?
0: I think it's much more likely to be through Shadesmar than through
1: the and through the perpendicularities. Yeah, of for Shadesmar. sure. I think it's much
0: more yeah. likely to be that. Yep. I sort of feel like uh, the Oath Gates. If if the Oath Gates were how they were getting through, then we would we would know about it. You know." Right. It would right. it would be much more obvious. The only thing is, isn't there, and forgive me, I could be wrong about this, isn't there like one of the Oath Gates that's lost that they they haven't found?
1: I couldn't say at that just off. Or the maybe top.
0: it's yeah. Maybe it's in a city that's captured by the mm-hmm. listeners. So so I don't want to rule that out entirely, mm-hmm. but I would say ninety nine percent through Shadesmar. Mm-hmm before we get into predictions we have one more thing um, actually two more things that we want to talk about oh my goodness so the first is uh, that we need to announce our pimp of the week oh yes so so after a grueling selection process our pimp of the week for this particular episode 115 is or in bar. So get in touch with us and let us know.
1: Hey, Or, thanks uh, for pimping us out.
0: That's right, let us know what you want and we will make sure it gets to you. I, I had to check and make sure, and yes, T Public does ship to Israel, so. Right on. I suspected they would, but I just wanted to confirm. So we're good there. And then I have um, a couple of other things real quick. First, we have a Dear Duchess.
1: Oh, we do. All right, hold on, let me prepare, I'm ready.
0: Okay. So it's a long one. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read through it as quickly as I can. Okay. I may truncate it a little bit. Gotcha. Dear Duchess, as much as I've whined and complained lately about not enjoying Brandon Sanderson's writing, I wanted to go on record as owing you a debt of gratitude for choosing Stormlight Archives nearly two years ago. Hmm. Uh, pardon my French, but with the way events have been unfolding in the world, it's no exaggeration to say that these books have saved my ass lately. Hmm. Let me explain. Like many of us, I laughed off the current COVID-19 crisis at first. Sure, I was housebound like everybody else, but I still made jokes with friends and reposted memes about toilet paper shortages, hand-washing and the like. Now, we've all experienced at least one moment in our lives when a situation we thought was funny turned deadly serious. Mine came the day I noticed... I was short on toilet paper and resolved to pick some up at a store later that day. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, you can you can probably imagine how things unfolded from here. At no time since March could I find TP at any of the local supermarkets or online. I know online. where he's going with All right. this. As much as I tried to stretch oh. my dwindling supply, uh, I eventually hit crisis mode as I ran out of toilet paper, then facial tissue, then napkins, then paper towels, and finally even those KFC handy wipes from back when I bought that 20-piece barbecue wings in 2015. At the peak of my depression, I even found myself hanging out by the mailbox on Tuesday waiting for the weekly uh, coupon clipping ads to arrive. Uh, Then this past Monday it happened, the epiphany. Sitting on the bottom of my bookshelf, I saw my paperback version of The Way of Kings and The Words of Radiance, their pages softened by month after month of previous handling. As I grabbed them and raced to the bathroom, it began to dawn on me that, like Paul Atreides on a Friday night spice binge, the Duchess must have foreseen how events would eventually play out. To quote uh, Braden from Wise Man's Fear, this woman plays a beautiful game. So now I offer Liz the humble apology I never thought I would give, the one she always knew she'd eventually receive. I can't exactly call it a reread, but I'll say this. I'm up to chapter 25 now, and I'm definitely enjoying the Stormlight Archive more the second time around. Sincerely, Eric Algier. Can you... Your retort. Do you,
1: do you think you could describe my face to Eric right now?
0: Um... It, it looks much like when our seven-year-old told us that she had finally learned how to pee standing up.
1: I think it's very accurate. I don't, I don't even know how to respond to that.
0: So what? So we know what Eric has been doing with his quarantine.
2: <laughs> yes, we do.
0: What have you been doing with your quarantine? Not that we've had like extra time on our hands, right? <laughs> Everybody's coming into this quarantine being like, I'm gonna oh come out of the other gosh. end of this quarantine having learned how to play the piano, or I'm gonna come out of the under end of this quarantine with a with a new online degree, or you know, what are you doing with you with your quarantine time? What are we doing with our quarantine time?
1: You know, I, I'm gonna get serious for a minute here because I I actually feel very strongly about this. And I read an article um, written by a trauma psychologist recently about this whole very toxic idea of that, you know, we need to be coming out of this situation. Like, you know, she, she said the quote that really struck her was, if you don't come out of this with a new hobby, then you never really lacked the time, you lacked the commitment. And this idea that just ignoring the fact that for many people in this situation, not for everyone, but for many people in this situation, this is a collective trauma and that you and like everyone else around you, like everyone's nervous systems are just like, you know, at like 92% all the time because there are a lot of people who are really scared right now either for their health or someone they love or whether they're going to financially be okay. And the fact that We're just supposed to pretend like that's not happening, and that we should all be like learning to make sourdough bread, and if you're not doing that, you're somehow quarantining wrong. I just really...
0: It's a very privileged statement.
1: Don't like it. I don't like that idea. I don't know where that question came from, but that's how I feel about it. But also... Well, Sorry, that is not where I just realized what you wanted me to say and it was not going on about trauma psychology. That's, um, a,
0: that's okay. I, I will also say this. We, I mean, just to echo what you were saying there, we thought that we were gonna record so many episodes of the podcast. Oh my gosh. We'd be able to get back to releasing. In fact, we recorded and then lost one.
1: We even, did we lost <laughs> Sorry, guys
0: frustrated even, even more frustrating is we we ended up negative one we <laughs> we <laughs> had negative a net one, loss negative
2: one through, through this whole through
0: this whole process so yeah it just it uh it hasn't worked out you know we we have been you know I don't want to say just as busy but probably just as busy but we did we did create something cool. We
1: did that. Yes, we we created a game that we called fantasy fantasy and we've been playing that be on the lookout for it. We're, we're looking to maybe we're, we're thinking we're going to have to record a video of us playing the to only way kind of get it, the yeah. idea across, yeah. but it's been super fun. And then eventually we would like to, to get some games going over zoom, or some kind of platform like that. Um, so stay tuned.
0: Yeah, we think it we think it's I mean it's a, we've played it a few times just to try and work out some of the bugs and see if if we could actually go from concept to execution and and turned turned out I think better than we both actually anticipated. Oh yeah, anticipated, it was super it would, fun. It would or be, else yeah. we're
1: just like really lonely, I don't it know. It could be that. <laughs> but it was really fun.
0: But we had a good time. I think it's also something that is only going to be interesting and fun to listeners of this podcast. <laughs>
1: Yeah, probably (laughs) not necessarily
0: listeners of the podcast, but people in our demographic, the, the, the sci-fi fantasy nerds and book readers and people who are really into the genres, uh, I think are the people who will actually enjoy this. I I don't think it's going to become, I don't think you're going to see it on the shelves at target anytime soon, but it's, but it was fun for us. So, so we'll give it a shot. All right. So are you ready for some predictions? Yes. All right. Prediction. The first Azure disappears, only sh- to show up at a much later critical moment related to Seth. Okay, I mean that's—I think that's fairly obvious, right? Okay, she's going to be gone, and then all of a sudden something's going to be happening with Seth, and he's going to be stepping in to do something, and then Azure's going to pop up, and you know, and that's how that's going to get resolved. Eurythmio uh, is a giant weapon.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I mean, it is shaped like a penis, after all.
1: Most weapons are shaped like penises. That's right,
0: right? Um, That's why it was abandoned.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: Not because the humans on Roshar were alien. Right. Because they finally figured out what that thing was there to do. Okay. The original listeners were somehow involved in the destruction of the human's world. Hmm. I think... I think there's going to be, not necessarily the listeners who are here today, but somehow they're going to end up being complicit in this at some level, or their gods are going to be complicit in it at some level. It's not as straightforward as the tale we're being told. All right. Uh, And I also think the Asia's contingent that left uh, is going to get ravaged on the sea. Okay. So those are my predictions. I like them. Episode 115, In the Tank. Let's try not to lose this one.
2: hope so.
0: (laughs) All right, next time we'll be reading chapters 114 through 119. Uh, You can find us online at the D&D Podcast. Excuse me, you can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. You can find us on Facebook uh, at the Duke and Duchess. Uh, Come hang out with us on our Facebook group page. That's where most of the cool kids hang out. Uh, Just search for the Duke and Duchess on any of your social media platforms, and you should find us. The Goodreads, the Reddits, et cetera, but it is predominantly Twitter and Facebook where most of the interaction happens. We will catch you on the other side. If you want some cool DND swag, don't forget to pimp us out, yo.